0: The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Go! And participate in McDonald's for limited time while supplies last.
2: Women to Watch is an intimate look into the lives of prominent and influential women women leaders from around the world and the challenges they faced on their journey. It's the real story behind her title. Join us every week to hear more stories about women from around the world and in your own communities at womentowatch.net. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch. I'm Sue Rocco. Thanks so much for being with me this week. Joining me in just a moment will be Kimberly Lee Minor. And Kimberly is the CEO of the Women of Color Retail Alliance. Um, as always, a quick reminder to stay with us during the breaks where you'll hear from our watch team of corporate partners. And we'd love for you to follow us on YouTube at W2W Media. Um, that's W, the number two, W Media, where you can watch the show. And now I'm very excited and honored to welcome to the show Kimberly Lee Miner. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Sue.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
2: It's wonderful to have you. And just so our viewers know you're um from the Philadelphia area, um yes. a town I know very well. Uh, talking Yes. Yeah, just yes. I wanted to start, if you could just talk a little bit about the neighborhood and the community you grew up in, describe that for our listeners. Sure. I mean, you know, Countryhocken is a
1: steel town. It's a, you know, a working class suburb. Well, it was when I grew up. It's changed quite a bit. So people watching this, they're like, what? Um, But when I was growing up, it was a blue collar neighborhood and um, it had always been uh, pretty diverse. You know, I, I, I looked at my mom's high school graduation, um, her yearbook, and she graduated in 1954 from contract high school. Um, she grew up there. And um, it was it was really diverse. And, and you know, people lived together, mostly on Ellum and Hector Street. And that's where most of the uh, black residents were concentrated. And they most of them worked for Allenwood steel. And, um, my mom always wanted to move into the avenues, right? She said, I want to stay here, my family's here, but when I get married, I want to move into the avenues. And so we were uh, the first black family to move onto Spring Mill Avenue. Um, now
2: oh, it's not- street? So off a street. Yeah, yeah, off the
1: street, So from Elm and Hector streets. Yes, where all the restaurants there. are. Yes, yes, but there were none then. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so, um, you know it was it was a it was a small town like everyone knew everyone like there's there' no one you didn't know the school was at the top of the hill the, 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 There were several churches, but everyone um knew everyone and so you grew up kind of like this big extended family and uh, most of my family lived somewhere in countryhawkgen so Doors are not locked. People are coming in. There's always food for people. It was just very neighborly. Um, but it was for me what was most important there was my family because I'm an only child and my mom and dad did an incredible job of showing me the world. Right. And so we traveled. Um, I've read a lot like I love to this day. I love books. Um, and I know there's Kindle and all these other things, but I love books. And so my life was really about books. It was about traveling. It was about all the classes I took, you know, um, dance, art, music. And so I grew up loving country for the family and the closeness and the support, um, but always wanting to get away from (laughs) contract because I felt like it was so small and I had seen so much. That I just needed to. I just never saw, once I graduated from high school or college, it being my home.
2: Yeah, um, you wanted to get out and explore other parts of the absolutely. world. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, a,
1: it's still a place of warmth because I have incredible memories. But I, I've moved on. Um, yeah. But it was a good place to live. You know, I, I feel like I, it was safe, and. Um, mm-hmm. It was neighborly
2: right tell me i know that you know your mom and dad had very high expectations for you and wanting you to um you know to get out and explore and and learn and be educated which you know it's interesting to me looking at you're extremely um educated and obviously interested in learning having gone to four four schools, four universities, to date, perhaps you're going to get another certificate. <laughs> um, Maybe. Yeah, so did it, was there ever a pressure on you as a young girl um, because of those high expectations or did you embrace that and feel, understand it and, and really work? Well?
1: That's a great question. Um, that's a really good question. And, and I didn't know any different too, so I, I I guess I embraced it and it's really become a part of who I am to have those expectations on myself. And it, and I never really thought about the expectations until I had children. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I'm raised, I've raised my children the way I was raised, where love is unconditional. (laughs) And I have expectations because I think you're special. And so because I think you're special, I think you can do incredible things. And I remember having that conversation with my oldest son, um, who is now a 21 year old college senior. And as the words were coming out of my mouth, (laughs) right? I was like, oh my God, I am my parents. And he was saying to me, I appreciate that you have expectations, but perhaps you need to um have those expectations but also meet me halfway. Right? Mm-hmm. And I hadn't thought about that because yeah. n- I never had that conversation in in my house. I just, you know, m- one of my mom's lines that she would say to me, like if I got and I don't want this to sound like she was like, you know, mommy dearest, but sometimes like if I if 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 I got a B or C, right? Which didn't happen very frequently, but she would say, "Hmm." Okay, well, anyone could do that. So I don't think it was your best, Mm. anyone could do that. Right, and so that's in my head. I don't wanna be anyone, I have to be better. Um, But it wasn't until I had that conversation with my son that I realized that the expectations that I have for myself were formed as a result of the expectations my parents had. But I didn't even think about those expectations as being something that was outside of myself. I just thought that was part of it. Yes.
2: that's Great so, question. yeah. It's so interesting because I think there's a fine line. You certainly don't. You, you want to encourage your child, right, to to reach their full potential um, without placing your uh, who they should be. You know, That's with, right. What they should do. I think it's you know it's a difficult fine line for parents. It it is. Um, Because in addition to like, for people like me who think you should be able to try everything,
1: like the the world is big. And my expectation is that you're going to want to learn about the world. And so you're going to do your best, you're going to question curiosity to me. Curiosity is one of the most important parts of being alive to me. And to be a leader and to, um, I think, really be of the world you should constantly like you should be a lifelong learner right and that's something i have given to my children um and they've seen it it's not like i'm telling them what to do they've seen it this is how mom lives her life Mm. yes but the flip side of that can often be the fears that we have as adults we bring those fears also and and then we we limit What our children can do because we're we're leaving them or we're raising them with the fears that we have, and that's something that I think um, you know we don't talk about enough. But it's you know if you saw my my TEDx, I I I tell people I have this irrational lack of fear, right, because of all the things that have happened in my life, and I still wake up, and so you know you bring that to the table as well, and and it's it's I think and I also think uh, young people watch us they might not always listen to us but they watch us mm. and that's even more important how you live
2: yeah and what you know what a fine example for your boys you have boys watching their mother you know continue to be a lifelong learner um and be successful i'm sure you know sometimes you don't even need to say things to them they're as you said they're watching they're watching they're watching um tell me about the relationship you have with your grandmother
1: so <laughs> this goes all the way back to when I was born. So when um, my mom was pregnant with me, my my dad was in Japan because he was still in the service. Um, they got married, and then he he was in service and he had to go back. And so uh, my mom had moved in with her parents in preparation for my birth, and and when I came, um, my grandmother was there and then my mom went back to work and I was always with my grandmother. And then I think I was like two or three and my my mom and dad bought the house and we had moved in and I wouldn't sleep. I didn't, I had no interest in that because I wanted to be with my grandmother. Like my grandmother was my person. And um, the relationship that we had was based on so much. So my grandmother taught me to read, right? at, at two, At two, I was reading and she taught me how to read with newspapers, like you know, she read the newspaper every day, so I would sit and I would emulate her. I wasn't allowed to have coffee. she had coffee. She's like you can't I have coffee, but you you can have milk or juice, right? so I'd have my but I had to have it in a coffee cup. and um well, you know, we would learn you know, she would teach me how to to read. and then as I got a little older, you know my my grandparents were from South Carolina, and um they still had family obviously there. Um, my grandmother's family was a little different station than my grandfather's family. Um, so my grandmother's family had gone to college, you know, my great aunt, her, her oldest sister had her master's in 1920. And my grandmother met my grandfather while she was on, you know, in Claflin. Um, and my grandfather uh, was on a chain gang. Like that's the story that's told my grandfather came from a sharecropper family. And so they would send letters north to the family that's how they communicate it and i learned then i would learn how to read reading those letters and the the newspaper clippings and that's when my grandmother would explain you know we we're not dealing with these levels of of racism and you know but there's jim crow and this is what it's about and um we had like dance parties and my grandmother was an incredible cook and so she Taught me how to bake and how to cook, and and um, you know, my relationship with my grandmother was probably as close as my relationship with my mother, and and you know, it's an incredible benefit because um, they're having a relationship and listening to someone who has lived the life that my grandmother lived, having been from the south seeing the things, and overcoming that, getting an education, coming north, um, leaving her family, all signs of strength that uh, were kind of poured into me, you know, Um, and she was she was the funniest person I knew. (laughs) She was hilarious. And, you know, or when she got mad, the most creative vocabulary, never cursing, but she could like say stuff that would make you cry just with her words right the way she put them together and she never did it to me but i saw how she did it to other people um but she, but that was the first real relationship i had even though my mother was there my grandmother was my person she was she was my person
2: yeah well um, they're the ones that are there it, they're not necessarily disciplining you they're more there with oh. that unconditional love um and quietly teaching you know oh yeah and
1: and she was a it was about quietly teaching because if you did something wrong, you had to go sit on the chair. And this is before timeouts. But she the, she had a chair in the living room, and you had to sit there and you couldn't move, you couldn't say anything, and you just had to sit.
2: Maybe <laughs> right? she totally invented quiet. she invented timeouts. <laughs> um. So I wanted you you um originally you went to school you went to temple to study um television and radio and film. Um, yes, that's what my degree is in, radio yeah. television and film. Right. And somewhere well first let me ask you what what were your aspirations then? Did you, did you want to be a journalist? Did you want to be on the other side of the camera? What what were your thoughts at that time?
1: Oh no, I I wanted to be on in front of the camera. I wanted to be Oprah. I wanted to tell stories, and I wanted to. Uh, I wanted to. I wanted to tell stories, and I also wanted to um, tell other people's stories. I um, I lo- I love storytelling, and and I love meeting new people and having
2: learning about them,
1: and that's what I wanted to do.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it was all about storytelling.
2: Yeah, but and I it, wanted to be on the park. Yeah, and then at what point? Where where was there? Uh, a, a moment where you change that direction
1: yeah uh so i interned at uh power 99 and um wfil and all the new the, you know all philadelphia stations and i produced the morning show um and had a little bit in it and loved that and, and i was sending out my tapes and i also had a i had a, sh- a jazz show on um Fridays, I was Kim Jones and um, got great responses from it. So I'm sending out my tapes, you know, I'm in the studio, I'm doing the, you know, and I'm not really getting great response. And then I got a few responses from like North Dakota, like some really crazy places. And I thought, well, maybe I'm not as good as I think I am, even though people tell me and and people are listening and they're doing all these things. But I don't want to go to South Dakota. I don't. <laughs> I don't want to be in these little markets. I,
2: Which is how uh, I think you you know people start. That's where they start. That's exactly because right that's where they right, start. Right. I don't. Re- I don't recall where she started, but it was not in a big city. Exactly. and yeah. And um.
1: And I just thought, huh? And then when the offers came, you know, of course it's starving artists. Like you, you don't make much money at the beginning. And I remember. Um, I had like three different offers that I was considering. And I was talking to my dad and he said, so how are you gonna live? Mm. And I said, well, eventually, you know, we're gonna get here, we're gonna And he's like, oh, okay. Didn't you say you wanted to go to grad school? <laughs> like, yes. And he's like, well, maybe you can still, there are other ways of telling stories where you don't have to have three jobs or, you know, he's like, cause there's no way you could possibly live on these salaries, like so, you're going to have to do other things, and you know, lots of conversation. And the recruiter from Macy's executive training program was always on campus. He was a fixture, and I would see him all of the time. And he would stop me, you know, oh, and he knew my name by then, and he'd say, oh, you know, like, that's really like your fashion sense is like on point, right? I'm like, thank <laughs> you, thank you, sir. Right? And I keep going, or I'd say, for oh, for school, I, yeah, like he's like, oh. I see the way you talk to people and you're always laughing and telling stories. You should really consider Macy's. And I said, "What about laughing and telling stories has to do with Macy's?" <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> I'm not going to work at retail for what? Like I, there's no way. It was the first thing no from your mind, right? It was never thing from know. my mind. Right. I had no idea what retail really was. And long story longer, he got in my head my 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 dad was like you don't I don't think you understand like Macy's executive training program is considered the Harvard of retail, and even if you don't go into retail, you're going to grad school, it's just going to be an enhancement to what you're learning and you always want to learn and so i I accepted it and um it it was eye opening because I like telling stories i that's why I wanted to do what I was doing, and I've learned that I could do that. I could tell stories in so many different ways in retail um, because there's so many different jobs and there's so many different ways through product, through marketing, all these things that I just didn't know, and so it opened a world to me that has been incredible. Um, as I have pursued my career, it's been incredible. Uh, so I think I think the the recruiter, I think the North Dakota offers, and you know life life has been very good as a result of, of that decision.
2: Yes. Um, I wanna share this quote. You said, I had this big picture of who I should be based on other people's ideas. Um, when did you awaken to that understanding and, and begin to live your life based on your own ideas of who you should be?
1: Yeah. Um... Well, because of who I, my family is like, they wanted me to be a doctor. They wanted me to be like all these things. As a matter of fact, funny story, when my now husband, um, who wasn't my husband at the time, came to uh, meet my family, my great aunt was there. And she said to him, uh, oh, so you're an attorney. And he said, yes, ma'am. And she said, you know, this one over here, she could be a doctor, but she wants to make dresses, right? And so I said, wait a minute, I've never made a dress in my life. And so she said, what do you mean you work in, you know? And I said, I'm the vice president of merchandising for a company, Uh, I don't make dresses. And honestly, even when I was going through my path in retail, I think part of my drive was, okay, they want me to be these things, I'm just gonna be the best over here. And And I'm gonna prove to them, that I can do other things than what they think because their worlds are smaller than mine and they don't know what the potential is, right? And and not in a bad way, but I think that's where it was like, as I was going through my career and I think it was like my third or fourth promotion and I was like, I'm good at this and I don't have to be, I don't have to fit in other people's boxes. I'm good at this and I'm gonna make this, this, this is the right
2: path. Mm-hmm. That's one one of the greatest lessons to learn, I think, is to have the courage to go away from what people are saying over here about who you are and what you're meant to do. Um, We're going to go into our first break. And when we come back, I want to talk about a little bit about the TED Talk and how you describe changing the perspective of failure and how you came up with a different way to look at that. I think it's it's really um, important. Stay with us, Um, we'll go into a break and hear from our sponsors and we'll be back with Kimberly Lee Miner, the CEO of Women of Color Retail Alliance. We'll be right back. People are super nice, and it's like very walkable. I already have like 15,000 steps today. (laughs) I think the Skewal is pretty nice. Like obviously, greenhouse park is really nice. Philly has some of the best food ever. Definitely Badia, how could you not? I went to a lot recently, fantastic. Philadelphia has always been a great scene for food. We've always had great Italian food. There's great Mexican food. If you go to
1: West Philly, there's a ton of like Indian and Ethiopian, there's all kinds.
2: Just skate around Philly, just cruising, listening to music come across the mural, it's just amazing. They're big, colorful, I love it.
0: We chose Philly because it's one of our team building and go check out the art. I think one of the coolest parts of Philly is the murals and the street art. And I don't think it's something you should necessarily like go out and look for, but something that you should find on your own.
2: You're getting on the damn train, Everybody's got their jersey on on Sundays and whatnot. Like, I love it. The Phillies were in the World Series. The
1: soccer team was in their championship. And the Eagles, you know what I'm saying, (laughs) could have won a Super Bowl. So if New York and Philly were at a
2: party, New York would be the one that would need to be the center of tension. And they're going to make sure that everybody's taking shots with them. Philly's gonna go with it and they're gonna have a great time and they're gonna be like the hype man, but they're actually gonna last a little bit longer because they're gonna go like harder, nitty grittier.
0: We are CHOP and we can't wait to show you around. We're the nation's first children's hospital. Now, a care network with more than 50 locations that continues to expand. Three state-of-the-art research buildings with 1.5 million square feet of space. We have grown from 12 beds 165 years ago to nearly 600 beds and one of the best children's hospitals in the world. We have a level one trauma center 11 floors of patient units, more than 20 operating rooms, first of its kind delivery unit for babies with birth defects, a separate cardiac operative and catheterization suite, and places to learn, like our internationally recognized simulation center. We have trained generations of leaders in the field of pediatrics. We are world leaders in medicine, surgery, and science one of the top recipients in NIH funding for pediatric research. In this building, pioneers in CAR-T therapy, mitochondrial disease, brain tumors, hyperinsulinism, and other rare diseases. Here, groundbreaking work in fetal surgery, genetics and genomics, and neurology. In our newest building, leaders in social determinants of health, clinical informatics, and epidemiology, autism, trauma and injury prevention. Our patients come from every state and 115 countries. These challenges requires the best and the brightest. We are passionate about pediatrics. We are motivated to make a difference in the world and in our community. We are a team. We are Chop.
2: Welcome back to the show. I'm speaking with Kimberly Lee Miner today, and Kimberly is the CEO of the Women of Color Alliance. Um, which, by the way, Kimberly, I, you you are the founder as well. Am I right? You started this. Well, conference? I'm a
1: co-founder. Totally. Um, so uh, yeah, a group of a group of us came together. There were th- four of us who came together. Um, it was a, an idea that I had came like in 2008, and um, it was was 2019, 2018, 2019,
2: we were at a- At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.
1: Uh, a Women in Retail Summit um, leader, Women in Retail Leadership Summit. Mm-hmm. And so there were probably about 400 women there. And um, all of the women of color fit at a table with a couple of chairs open. Mm. and. Um, I said, you know, I looked around, I said, so I've been thinking about this now for almost 10 years. There are not enough of us, like, I just don't get it. Like, where are we? I said, when I started in the training program, there were three of us in the training program. By the time I was placed uh, in an assignment with Macy's, there was me, right? What's the problem? Like, what's the fall off, what's happening? And um, I said, you know, we noticed that obviously we noticed that too but what do you think we could do about it and i said well i'm not sure but i want to do something because i can't leave i can't leave things the way i walked into them and it's crazy that it's 25 years almost and it nothing has changed it's it just doesn't seem like anything's changed so if, who's with me and so you know several people said they were and then when it was time and i said okay so this is what we're going to do first i reached out to all those people and two people responded and so we got together and as they say the rest is history but we got together and we started with just a, a virtual gathering and from then and that was that was in september of 20 and um uh, oh you know, it's not we,
2: time to start anything new or oh yeah or the perfect time Right. Yeah,
1: I think I think it was the perfect time because people we could do things virtually and bring people together. And so, you know, for that first year, um, it was year year and a half. It was all virtual, and we did gatherings, and we did uh, lunch and learns, and we brought leaders. Like we searched out the, the leaders um, of women of color who had made it, who were our peers, because by then t- we were presidents and. CEOs. And we brought in our peers to have honest conversations with with women who are in the industry, but don't know what a leadership journey looks like. Um, and so we did that. And that was very successful. And, and we're like, okay, check. That's great. What's What's next? And we, we kind of were building the house as we were making the bricks. And we're continuing to do that. But, you know, we went from doing like one in-person uh, event in 21 to last year, we did 30. And so, um, yeah, and it, it, it's very focused. You know, we want to close the, the leadership gap. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's too big to ignore. Women are 60% of corporate retail. And, and when I say retail, it's the broadest sense of retail. Um, but women are th- 60% of corporate retail. They're 37% of uh, leadership. And women of color um, combined are 6%. And so um you can't go from 60% to 6% because uh there are so many reasons why that happens and I know this whole conversation I could talk about this forever but we won't but that's where we focus on how do we close that gap because it's really all about it's all about all women and it's all about um economic empowerment and you know having a, a value of life and how to if it, I City just uh, published a report that if we closed that gap 20 years ago, that we would have added $12 trillion to the US economy.
2: Wow. Tell right? me, connect that for me. How, how would that? So work?
1: Here's how it works. If you are at entry level, you're making maybe $20,000 a year.
2: Right? When you're, you say entry level, are you talking about being in a store selling product or in the corporate office, but not in the um, either way?
1: Because if you're entry level at corporate, then you're like a coordinator, and coordinators make about forty-five thousand dollars a year. Mm-hmm. If you are in a store, then you're, you know, a clerk, or even a, um, you know, warehouse, or you know, stock then you're making probably now depends who you work for between 10 and $15 an hour. Neither is enough to really live. And so if you're, if we just focus on corporate was $45,000, then you have the opportunity to get um, promoted. That might take you to 52, right? Once that, at that point, there's a significant break so for men who are in retail, if for every, for every 100 men who get promoted at that first stage, 83, is it right? 87 white women get promoted. So for every 100 men, 87 white women get promoted. 73 women of color get promoted. So you see there's a big group that is, set, is left. Mm -hmm. Right. That 73 has actually gone down from two years ago when it was 81. So it was very close. It was just all women lost 17, about 17 to 20 percent. Right. At that first point. So now it's 73 percent. So that's 27. Right. So that's significant. Mm -hmm. So 27 people are left at that entry level. Once you're left at that entry level, the opportunity doesn't really come again. So then we get to the next and it becomes exponential and women of color continue to sit. And so the connection between the 12 trillion and that number is that you see increasing number of women of color who are not making enough to support a family, to really contribute to the US economy in a meaningful way because that money is having to do everything it can to stretch, to make sure that person is living at such a, a level that we often don't even think about those people, unfortunately, but they're a part of this world. And if they got in the door, they had the the acumen or whatever it took to get in there, but for some reason once they've gotten there, that, you know, uh, sponsorship, additional training, access and exposure just doesn't seem to happen. And, it, and it, it's a large enough number that concentrated over over the years. Once you get to a vice president there, you know, 6%, six or seven percent of that population, and then you get to senior vice president and it goes down from there. And so Um, that's what we focus on. Like, okay, once you've gotten in there, we want to help you. So we have training programs, you know, it's about networking. It's about who do you know, we should know each other. Um, It's about engaging with the leadership of the brands. We have C-suite dinners where we're asking tough questions and getting really honest answers. So we can then help them with their cultures as well as helping the, uh, the the emerging leaders and those women get into the pipeline. Um, You know, it's it's not not an easy task, but it's necessary because retail touches everyone. So it should be reflective of the consumer. Um, It it doesn't make sense that these people are being left behind.
2: So Kimberly, I have to ask, what do you think was the differentiator for you? What was it? that allowed you to fairly quickly move into leadership positions? How did this gap not happen for you? Yeah, you know, um, my first
1: boss at Macy's, um, similar background, she's just, she was older, but she, she hadn't taken retail classes, like she just wasn't, That wasn't anything that was on her radar, right? And so she learned on the job when she got there. And I have always been someone who asked a lot of questions. I I remember my dad would say, "Okay, okay, you've hit your limit. (laughs) Take (laughs) a break."
2: (laughs) Um, I can relate to that. I can relate to that, (laughs) right? And so I think I ask way too many questions. Yeah, but I, I mean. We're We're to love
1: this job. <laughs> yes, exactly. And that's exactly why I wanted to have that job. But, um, so she, you know, I asked a lot of questions and she liked that. She was like, okay, so yeah, I don't know. Let's find out together or, you know, and so I think because I was curious and, um, I think I'm a fun person to be problem. Um, but she saw that I was curious and I was smart. I was really, uh, I I understood what it took to drive a business. So it made her look good and she enjoyed the fact that she was learning alongside me. And she was a great uh, manager and leader in that she she never suppressed. She was always like, okay, well, let's try this, let's do this. And I think if that is my first experience, then I'm like, oh, okay, this is good. I can I can show up as myself. And so the next uh, promotion, you know, it was the same. And then when I moved on to uh, Express, I I just again just had this like I don't know. I just wanted to know more, and I would try things, and I learned how to do tests, and and it was always about the work. It was. And, and I think what happened was because it was about the work and I wasn't afraid to work hard and I I didn't think about it. I just would do things and I would ask questions. And as a result, I, I got very good at what I was doing and the results spoke for themselves.
2: The importance but, of curiosity. Yeah, exactly. interest, right? So you're
1: showing interest. Right. Right. And, and, and people appreciate that. Right. Yeah. And and then I had enough successes that those successes could speak for me professionally. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it was, I, I also carried with me and, and you know, my mom and dad taught me this too, like, okay, Kimberly, in order for you to be in the rooms that you, we know you want to be in, you're going to have to be twice as good to to be on considered on par. And if you want to excel, you're gonna to have to work three times as hard. And and that's true. Unfortunately, that's a, that's they were absolutely true. And I walked in knowing that and I was willing to do that. And I and it just become it became who I was. Like I was willing to work those crazy eight hour weeks and I was looking for the spaces, the gaps, you know, what can I do? Why is that not working? How can I fix that? How can I? Where, what businesses aren't we in that we need to be in? And so those are the things that started to represent who I was in the professional space, and I think that's what propelled me forward. Um, and I was actually at a you know, pretty senior level very early, and and then continued. Um, but I, you know, I'm not saying that everyone is not willing to do that, but not everyone is willing to do that or even knows that that's what it takes unfortunately for women of color to stand out right and and it's not right it's absolutely not right we should be able to excel just as, as our peers we shouldn't have to do three or four jobs to their one to be seen unfortunately the industry is still there and um that's the work that we need to do. That's the advocacy we need to do to change that because no one should have to work that hard to get the same recognition or just to get some recognition. Um, but uh, that's what I did. And, and, and that's how, um, you know,
2: that's- so when You're having these conversations with members of the Alliance. Um, how important is belief in oneself Belief in your own abilities, in addition to that curiosity, is that do they have to go hand in hand? In other words, no, no, They're crucial. Yes, oh, okay, yeah, it's crucial. It's right.
1: crucial because there's no way you can be in these high pressured environments and you see other people are leapfrogging and you're stuck, and you're not. You have to have that feeling because it's very easy. Um, those emotions or, or, you know, that Mm self-esteem, it could be like a house of cards, depending on where you are and how you're treated. And you have to have, you just have to know I am enough. I am enough. Right. And even if, even if you're taking on those extra projects, you still have to do them knowing I am enough. (laughs) I, 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 I am as good or better than that person. You know, oftentimes when we're talking to. Um, participants in our, or, you know, our workshops or, and the uh, idea of imposter syndrome comes up. And um, that is not, that that triggers me <laughs> because while I do believe, in, and um, a, a, le- a former leader of mine told me this, he said, you know, you have to have a certain level of paranoia in this industry because you have to constantly watch over your shoulder to see what's coming next right because you have to be ahead of that from product to process to customer experience to your own career right you have to it's that type of business that's the type of competition you're, you're in every day but that level of paranoia is to me is not imposter syndrome and i think that understanding that in order to be in a room you have to show up as a woman of color. You have to know, okay, so I have more education or I've had more successes. I should be in this room. So to walk into a room and have imposter syndrome, I don't think is a privilege that women of color have or should even engage because you, it just doesn't exist. Um, and I and I think they're different than staying on top of what's happening, you know, right on your heels and having imposter syndrome
2: do you still work today kimberly at that level of um what's the word intensity for just you know that, uh i'll say this do you do you work at that level of intensity at still with the idea in your mind of trying to prove yourself prove to others or have you you know reached your life speaks for itself yeah i no i
1: don't I don't um i thought i had kind of moved away from that until my uh when i went to work for bath and body works and because um, i hadn't felt that in a while that i had to prove you know mm-hmm. um because i had to your point like these are the things i've done i don't think i have to prove anymore mm-hmm. and when i got to bath and body works um i felt like every day i had to prove and it was I was like, oh, I oh, this is ridiculous. Redi- I, I why do I have to do this? Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was, and that's why I was there for just two years because I had incredible successes there, right? I incredible successes that that changed the trajectory in a, quite a few businesses, and yet I still had to every day. I would have to prove myself or prove my worth, and I it was exhausting. Mm -hmm. and um, it was actually one of the catalysts for when we were at that summit for retail leaders saying hey something has to be done because it doesn't make sense when you have a 25-year career and you have proven successes that you can talk to you can pick up the phone and have conversations with people i've worked with and they'll tell you yes that's what she did that i should have to work so hard to prove myself at this level mm-hmm. where i'm a senior vice president running a 3 billion dollar business and you know building a strategy organization and running merch ox because you know i can do that because over here but then i'm here and every day i have to prove myself that's ridiculous and and unnecessary so i i don't do that <laughs> and if i'm walking into a situation where it feels like i'm going to have to i'm not going to stay there very
2: long yeah right i think those old sometimes those old insecurities creep back in but if you're if you recognize them and you're able to go nope um nope that's the (laughs) best place to be um my last question excuse me if if there's a woman watching and um she's somewhere in between that space of um you know an entry-level position she has the curiosity she wants to to be recognized, I'll say. What, what would your advice be for her? So um, so here's the thing.
1: Often when, we, when women walk in and they're, they're curious, but they only know the people in their, their immediate team or, um, and so they put their head down and they might ask those people questions maybe, or um, they just do their job. And I say, use your curiosity to be known, right? Take up space. And when I say take up space, I mean, get out. When you're going to the cafeteria at work and you see someone, you, A, you should know who the people are, right? You should know who the leaders are in the company and, and who the up and comings are. And you should know who they are, even if they don't know you. But LinkedIn makes it very easy. So as you're walking down a hall and you see someone that you're like, oh, that is, I know that that is the VP of blah blah blah. Take a minute. Hi, how are you? Oh my goodness, my name is my name is Kimberly. And I've been mean, I've really wanted to meet you. You're doing some incredible stuff for the company in this way. I'd love to like, can we grab a coffee? Because I'd love to know why and how, right? What's your why and how are you doing it? And and let people know who you are, even if you're emerging, right, you've been there not a long time. Those are the people once you make connections with those people. And every time you see them, you say hello, and maybe you know, a little something that you could share with them. Or maybe you read a book and you're like, Oh, you know, we were talking about this. Last time I saw you, I read this book. Great. It sounds like maybe it sounds cringy to younger people now. But that is what I did at Express. And that is what worked because there wasn't one person in any department that did not know who Kimberly Lee was. And as those people got to know who I was, they got got to know what I was doing. And then those are the people because you want sponsors, you want people to know about you so that when they're in a room and they hear of an opportunity, your name is spoken You don't have to ask for that interview. People are talking about you and will let you know, hey, here's an opportunity. I know you've been doing this, and I think you'd be really good for that. When I was at Express, I had eight promotions. Not one did I ask for, nor did I interview for it. But people knew me, and they knew what I was doing. And so when opportunities came, my name was put out there. And, and that doesn't happen a lot for, for women of color. It, it just doesn't. It happens for other people. It happens every day for, for men, especially white men. And it happens a little more for, for uh, women, w- white women. Women of color, put your head down, you, keep, you start working. You don't put yourself out there. You don't want people to know who you are. That is the opposite of what you should do. You want people to know who you are. And that doesn't mean that you have to have, you know, these big conversations about your personal life, but you want people to know who you are and you want to be able to drop nuggets so they can know what you're doing, right? What is your why? Um, And that's what happens. Too often, young women ask for mentors. And I have, I say, let that go. Like, don't stop asking for mentors. You can have a mentor, but a mentor is just an advisor. It's not going to get you to the next step inside your, your build, building inside your brand that you work for. You need sponsors and that's how you start to develop relationships. So people will sponsor you.
2: Right. It's, it's really important. It's it, I always say to my kids, every exchange you have with another human being leads to something else. So yes. keep having those exchanges, um, it's, it's all great, great advice, Kimberly, and I, I appreciate so much you taking time to be on the show to share your life story. And um, I wish you such success with the Alliance. I think it's going to make a huge difference. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: This has been great. I've enjoyed talking to you.
2: Wonderful. Um, we're going to go into our last break and hear from one of our sponsors, and I'll be back to close out the show.
1: From Philadelphia to the Lehigh Valley, and everywhere in between, for 150 years, Penn Community Bank has been a part of your neighborhood. Helping businesses start, supporting families as they grow, and staying connected to the people and places that make this region special. It's who we are and where we're from. Penn Community Bank. Here we are, and here we grow.
0: We are CHOP, and we can't wait to show you around. We're the nation's first children's hospital. Now, a care network with more than 50 locations that continues to expand. Three state-of-the-art research buildings with 1.5 million square feet of space. We have grown from 12 beds 165 years ago to nearly 600 beds, and one of the best children's hospitals in the world. We have a level one trauma center, 11 floors of patient units, more than 20 operating rooms, first of its kind delivery unit for babies with birth defects, a separate cardiac operative and catheterization suite, and places to learn, like our internationally recognized simulation center, We have trained generations of leaders in the field of pediatrics. We are world leaders in medicine, surgery, and science. One of the top recipients in NIH funding for pediatric research. In this building, pioneers in CAR-T therapy, mitochondrial disease, brain tumors, hyperinsulinism, and other rare diseases. Here, groundbreaking work in fetal surgery, genetics and genomics, and neurology. In our newest building, leaders in social determinants of health, clinical informatics and epidemiology, autism, trauma and injury prevention. Our patients come from every state and 115 countries. challenges requires the best and the brightest. We are passionate about pediatrics. We are motivated to make a difference in the world and in our community. We are a team. We are chop.
2: That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch. Thank you so much, as always, to our sponsors uh, for helping us bring the show to you each and every week. Um, Stay tuned for my interview next week with Bonnie Carroll, the founder of TAPS. Have a great week, everyone.